Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. You know, even as we consider this opportunity that we get every week, we don't take it for granted. And so I want to give a huge shout out to our senior pastors, our bishop, Bishop Johnson, our first lady, Pastor Chris, who just happened to celebrate a birthday a few days ago. So why don't you put your hands together? Why don't you make sure you cash app our first lady a lot of love? You hear me? How many I would love to get some cash app in this season? You would just love to hear that, that little cha-ching. <laughs> Y'all know the sound that comes? Come on, don't act like you don't need this bread. But we thank God for our leadership, and we thank God for where we are as a ministry. Um, obviously, all around the world, we voted this past week, and we've been voting in regards to the major transition and change that the ministry is about to undergo by the grace of God. And, you know, for the last 30 years, we've been known as Bethel World Outreach Ministries International, Bethel World Outreach Church. And over the last few months, the Lord has been dealing with our leadership, and we've been focused in a, in a, re, in a, in a renaming of the ministry, and the Lord placed Harvest Intercontinental Ministries Unlimited in the heart of our bishop. And we believe that within the next few months, this transition would have taken place where we're praying, you know, tomorrow, hopefully the results will be announced and we will have a sense of where we are. But in the meantime, how many of I know you don't need a name to know that you got work to do? Hello, people of God, I'm talking to you. Get off your phones if you're watching. You don't need somebody to tell you, oh, your name is such and such to get up and wash the dishes in your house, do you? Young people, you, you, you know what you got to do. You know what you have to do. You know your responsibilities and your duties. Even without, look, man, come on. If, if you need a name, if you need a specific name to know that you got to do chores in your house, I'm coming by your crib later on to sit with your parents, and we'll have a Holy Ghost party up in there while you wash some dishes. It's very important that you understand that there's a work. Say work. Say work. Say work. I know that's a bad four-letter word that a lot of people don't like to hear. Time to do some work. And we say, oh, no, I don't want to work. I want to chill. I want to relax. I want to just have some fun. I'm all for chill. God is all for chill. I'm all for fun. God is all for fun. You know how I know God is all for fun? The Bible says that in his presence, there is what? A fullness of joy. So God is not boring, contrary to what the enemy wants you to believe. Heaven is not going to be, we singing these songs in white all day. <laughs> Heaven's going to be a party. How many of y'all like miss going to parties? I miss going to parties a lot. We had a graduation year this year, and we, I, 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 man, I miss a lot. But look, y'all, the parties you don't get to enjoy on earth, you're going to have way more fun in heaven. But in the meantime, say in the meantime, come on, talk to me, say in the meantime. You're watching online, type it in the, in, in the comment section. Say, in the meantime, there's work to do. Say, there's work to do. And so, with this name change that we're, we're hopefully going to undergo in the next few uh, days or so, comes a greater level of responsibility and work. Because I believe, like Bishop has been saying, this name is not just a cosmetic effort. It's a paradigm shift. It's a mindset change that impacts the three-year-old, the 13-year-old, the 23-year-old, the 43, the 53, the 83-year-old. If you're connected to this ministry in any way, even if you are a visitor, I'm sorry for you because you've just been called into the Lord's work. If you're connected in any way, it's time that we shift the way we see things, we shift the way we approach things, and we get to work. Two reasons. One, we've been commanded to. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, go into what? All the world and do what? Preach the gospel. That's one reason why we need to go and get this work in. Two, he's on his way. And he's looking for a return on his investment. Yes, he shed his blood. Yes, his body was broken. 
He was, he was making a down payment on a harvest that the father desires. So, yes, young people, those of you watching, yes, relax. Find a time to chill. Get some R&R, which means rest and relaxation. But make sure you get about the father's business in this time. Because you have a limited time. I was laughing the other day. I said, I remember when my son was born in 2004, and now it's already, it's already 2020. That's 16 years ago. And it went like, like this, just like this. Right now, you think you're young. I got time on my hand. I got things I can do. By the time you realize it, you'll be counting the strands of gray in your chin. By the time you realize it, you'll be an old lady somewhere. Say time, say time must be managed well. So today, I'm going to continue the conversation on the harvest. And today, I want to focus on the work because there's, a, there's going to come a day when you get a job and there's something called standard operating procedures. Well, I don't, you can be at McDonald's. Even McDonald's has SOPs, Wendy's, Taco Bell's. Wherever you work, there are standard operating procedures that are required and there are certain things that are required for you to do in order to succeed at the work that you're called to do. If you decide that you're going to do anything outside of those SOPs, you're deviating from the company's mission and vision and you're causing them time. You're causing them resources. And you are just wasting an opportunity. God forbid that I waste the resources God has given me in my energy, in my strength, in my breath. You know, the oxygen that you breathe, you get it for free, but Christ paid for it. He paid for it. Okay? So there's just certain things you can't do. Well, today I want to talk about three things that we cannot do in this line of work that we do. This, this work as harvesters, this work as people who are called to work the fields. You remember last week I talked about it in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus steps out, and I'll, I'll, I'll refer to that in a little bit here. But Jesus comes out and he looks at the field. He said, man, the, 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 there's a lot of work to be done. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Jesus said that, and we're going to look at it. But when you read Matthew chapter 9 from verse 1, to verse 34, I found it really interesting that Jesus didn't come here to play any games when he walked the earth. I mean, he was about the business, man. At the age of 12, he said it, and I talked about it weeks ago, about the unlimited partnership that we have. At the age of 12, Jesus knew what time it was. From the minute he entered into the scene, he was about this work. He was about this harvest. And so when you read from verse 1 of Matthew 9 all the way to verse 34, let me give you seven things. Like Jesus got out of bed and this is what his day looked like. Some of y'all, some of us, all of us, depending on where you are in the world, we complain, oh man, my day been busy. You know, my, there's a lot I got going on. You know, I gotta, if you're a parent, now these kids, I'm complaining. I'm really complaining. Y'all got to help me. Pray for me. I've been complaining about this online school business. I can't stand it. I look at my kids and sometimes I, I want to get angry, but I really can't get angry at them. Because I see the amount of labor it takes to do school online. It's a lot. You know, I feel sorry for the teachers on the other end. This whole situation has really caused a problem for parents. So I can imagine your schedule. Yeah, you talk about busy. I can imagine, young people and parents, I can imagine how much travailing you're doing in the stress. But let me tell you something. Nobody was busier than Jesus when he walked this earth. As soon as we see in chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, the first thing we see is Jesus is ministering, and I believe there are four fellows who bring their friend, a paralytic. He's crippled, can't walk. They have to bust through the ceiling of the house that he's ministering, and he's doing, doing ministry, and they bring him to lower him, and Jesus looks at the man, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the first thing that happens is he gets accused of blasphemy. It said, the Pharisee said, only God can forgive sins. Uh, duh, they didn't know who he was, did they? It says, only God can forgive sins. Jesus says, so that you can know that the Son of Man has power. Rise up and walk. The paralytic rises up and he walks. I'm talking about like this is how his chapter starts. Like his day begins with him healing a man and having to deal with the criticism in his ministry. Secondly, he encounters a tax collector. He goes to the home of a tax collector. And he's sitting and he's having dinner. I mean, come on, I'm trying to get my R&R. &R. I'm relaxing. 
I just got to doing a major uh, 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 healing, a major miracle. I'm trying to relax. But, you know, Jesus' Jesus's mission wasn't to those that were all right. He came to those that were sick. And so the Bible says he went to a house to the home of a tax collector. And back then, tax collectors were considered very crooked, very wicked. They were considered the sinners of sinners. They were stealing people money. It's funny how people get funny about money. <laughs> and so, once again, the Pharisees begin to say, man, your ministry is fake. After all, if you knew who you were hanging with, if you knew these people, if you knew how messed up they were, you wouldn't be with them. You claim to be a teacher. Look at you. And Jesus said, look, I didn't come to those that were well, or the well don't need a, I came to the sick. I'm talking about having a missional mindset. He said, look, I came to those that were broken. I came to those that, that are hurting. I came to those that need help. So he's already experiencing criticism for doing the work that the father called him to do. Hey, stay with me. I'm going somewhere. Right after that, I'm talking about his day in chapter 9. Right after that, he runs into the, the disciples of John the Baptist, and they begin to question his religiosity. They say, how come we get to fast? We're disciples of John. But your disciples, they're eating and they're getting fat. <laughs> they're enjoying all the chicken. You know, look, they are probably hating because they were eating. You know, they're over there hungry and starving. And, they, you know, and they're questioning Jesus. And Jesus said, look. How is it that you are requiring the guest of the bridegroom to not have a meal when I'm here? A day is coming where you won't be required to fast. But today, they're wrestling with me, they're chilling with me, so just let them be. I'm talking about the fact that people will question your mission. People will criticize you for what you do. This is nothing strange. It's nothing new. They did it to Jesus just in chapter 9. Take your time and read Matthew chapter 9. They criticized him. These are the disciples of John speaking. Question him about fasting and, about, and, and, and what have you. Then right after that, when you talking about, you been busy lately? Let me tell you Jesus' schedule. Right after that, there's a synagogue ruler called Jairus that shows up. And Jairus comes complaining and, oh, you know, my daughter, she's sick. You know, she's home, she's dying. And, she, and, and, and Jesus said, you know what? I got to go do ministry, man. He could have just spoke a word, by the way, because he is the word that became flesh. He could have just said, little girl, wake up. But he decided to get up and go to Jairus' house to do ministry. He was willing to, 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 be, to be discomforted for the comfort of others. Okay? And so he gets up, and he's on his way to Jairus' house. And then while on the way, this is all in the same day, I believe. I want to believe. There's a lady who had been battling the issue of blood for 12 years who pulls on him, and the Bible says, she said to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And you know the story if you've read it before. She gets her healing. Jairus' daughter dies. All of this is happening in chapter 9. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm setting up this thing so you can see something. Okay? So he, he proclaims her wholeness, and he goes to Jairus' house. And he raises the girl from the dead, Talita Kumi. Little girl, I said, rise. The little girl comes to life. And you complain about you too busy. You too busy. This is Jesus working. Okay? Then, right after that, he has an encounter with two blind men who are crying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. So he has to deal with the blind too. You know the story. He healed the blind. He took care of their problems. And then lastly, there was a mute young man who was also demon-possessed. Do you understand what it means to be mute? That's the inability to speak. So his mouth was closed, and he didn't have the ability to cry out like the blind man. Oh, somebody hear me. He was fully possessed with demons, but couldn't open his mouth to say his problem. There are some in this nation and in this generation that are suffering in silence and they can't say what the issue is. Either they're ashamed of their issue, either they don't. They, man, y'all know what I'm talking about. They can't say a word, they can't utter a word. Yet Jesus was able to meet that need, heal that young man, restore his speech, cast the demon out, all of that in one day. And then I'll stop at verse 35 into 38. 
All of this happened according to the author, Matthew. He broke this thing down. I mean, this is a busy day. How many of how many y'all think that's a busy day? That's one busy day. But check this out. It says, then, after, all, after doing all the things I just said, then Jesus went about all the cities, not some, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every, say every, say every. Come on, talk to me, say every. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. And then he stopped. I mean, I, I'm reading this chapter, and you should read it the same way I read it. He, he, I, I mean, I can imagine him after doing all this work. He stops. It says, and when he, because like they kept coming. The problems kept coming. 2020, the problems has been coming. It's been coming. He said, when he saw the multitudes, he didn't get upset and say, hey, my people, they come here again. <laughs> oh, I'm tired. I'm so sick of these people. They're always coming. They're always coming. I mean, when would I get a break? He didn't do that. It says he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Next verse. Then he sees, it's like he saw that. He saw the masses hurting, he saw the pain, he saw the misery, and then he turns around to the disciples and said, the harvest, say the harvest. Come on, say the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Frenchmen say beaucoup. Plenty. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are so few, so few. Meaning there are, there, there are multiple opportunities to make an impact for the kingdom. But there's just so few people willing to take that step to work the work. To work the work. Verse 38, and I talked about this last week. He says, therefore, since there's few laborers, therefore, since it's just, just a handful of people willing to do the work, like there's some of you doing the entire COVID time, you've been working the work, you haven't stopped, and I applaud you. The church has not closed. We have not closed during COVID. Come high water or hell, we've been working this thing. While a few are doing the work, the Lord is saying, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so really my prayer in this season, our prayer in this season as a people is that Lord, enough of just one person doing this thing. Enough of just a few of us doing this thing. Let the entire body of Christ wake up in this season. Whether you are 32 or two. Man, I'm talking about babies going out evangelizing. You want this bottle in the name of Jesus? You need this pacifier? Whatever it will take. Because if Jesus then was able to stop in the midst of his busy schedule, in the midst of all of the activities, and I mean, he was doing ministry, man, doing ministry. Jairus' daughter, lady with the blood, I mean, doing ministry. We have no excuse in this hour. I'm going somewhere. Now, I talked about earlier SOPs, and I talked about things that you cannot necessarily do at a job that may hinder your productivity. And there's, there's three things I want to touch this, this, this today. I want to touch. Because I think these three things are probably at the top of the list of things we cannot do at the, at the work site. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. You know, certain jobs you go to and say, thou shalt not pull out your cell phone. How many of you got one of them type of jobs? <laughs> Even if thou pull out thy cell phone, thou will get a write-up. <laughs> I'm so glad the Lord ain't writing me up because I would be in trouble. Because I know I miss it sometimes, and I know we miss it together at times. But I believe in this season, he wants to remind you, he wants to remind me, there are just certain things we cannot do, and we cannot afford to do. Because if we're going to be effective harvesters, if we're going to be about this harvest life, if we're not just going to be about a name change, but a mind shift and a paradigm shift, we've got to make sure that these three things don't, be, don't, don't show up on the work field. The first one I want to talk about is indifference. Say indifference. Come on, talk to me. Say indifference. 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 What does that mean? 
It means a lack of interest. It don't, it don't affect me. It don't matter. Whatever they're doing, D.C., it don't, I'm, in, I'm in Montgomery County. I'm, you know, they can kill each other in Southeast. That's, I'm cool. That don't mean nothing to me. I'm good. I'm in my suburban area. And, you know, so, man, can they just be quiet on the news a little bit? Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it doesn't, it doesn't. Listen, I'm going to tell you like Mordecai told Esther. Mordecai said, girl, let me tell you something. If you don't intercede on behalf of your people, if you don't take a stand on behalf of your people, God is able to raise up somebody else to do the job. But how do you know you wasn't brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? And I want to say to you, I want to say to you, I want to say to you, how do you know that God has not raised you up? I mean, some of you were born exactly on the day that you were meant to be born. And you are in this community, you are in this great nation, the United States. You're not somewhere else. You are in this place of influence and affluence. How do you know you wasn't brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? So for me to say, for you to say, uh, that's not my problem. You can't do that on a job site. You cannot have, you cannot, <laughs> you cannot have an attitude that says, that's on them. That's not on me. That's not. That's that, that. Okay. That's one. That's one. And we're going to dig into it a little more. Okay. The second requirement or the second thing I would encourage you not to have on the work site uh, as a harvester, as a harvest member, Bethel harvest member, discouragement, discouragement. That's one of the enemy's greatest tools. Oh, he loves to throw it at us as believers. Come on. Come on, y'all be real tonight. Be real, be real, be real. What is discouragement? To lose hope, a sense of I don't matter, they don't appreciate me, after all that I do. Young people, y'all know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you feel discouraged when your parents tell you, do this, do this, do this, and in your mind you're like, but look at all the things that I did and you haven't recognized that, so why should I do anything extra? God, look at all the things that I've done in this season. Look at all the things. Look, look at all that I've been through. Huh? You, you, uh, my prayer still not answered yet. So why must I do more? And you're feeling discouraged because somebody hasn't applauded you. Somebody hasn't encouraged you. You can't bring that to the work field because discouragement will cripple you. It will literally shut you down. Man, come on. I've been married 20 years. When I feel discouraged in my marriage, I'm wide open for the enemy's attacks. I start looking at my wife sideways. If she's discouraged, she start looking at me sideways. We both start looking sideways, and we cock out and foolish. You cannot allow discouragement to become a part of your, of your work, of the work environment in the kingdom. Okay? Third one I want to talk about is distraction. Distraction. Y'all know distraction. Okay? The dictionary says <laughs> it's an object that directs one's attention away from something else. It's so easy to be distracted. My goodness. I think about Adam and Eve. Look, the Lord told them you can have 99.9% of everything in this garden. Are you listening to me? There, was, there were no prohibitions. I said 99.9999%. Whatever, any, 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 any tree in the garden, you can have it. But this 1%, this one tree, you can't have it. Because if you do, that will be the day you'll be separated and, and you will die. Guess what? Miss Eve, walking in the garden, took her eye off what the Word of God said and placed her eyes on what the Word of God did not say. And you know the rest. We got coronavirus 2020. Sometimes I just want to go to heaven and say, look, Omar, what happened? Why, why did you allow yourself to be distracted? Distraction is such a wicked device of the enemy. Because it's as if to say you're driving 100 miles per hour into your destiny, and something catches your eye, and you immediately take your eyes off the road. What do you think is going to happen to your vehicle? Try that on the Autobahn in Germany. You were D-I-E on the spot. 
Because you will miss your destiny. You will miss your destination. And all because you simply decided, I mean, can we talk about David real quick? Y'all know David, right? All the kings going to fight. David said, today I'm indifferent. Today I don't want to be bothered. David said, today, you know what? They don't even appreciate me anyway. He was probably feeling discouraged. And then from his balcony, he was distracted. <laughs> he, saw, he saw a bath. Sheba. Oh, you'll, you'll get that in, your, in the future. And he said, man, my distraction has built an attraction that I can't stop. Are you hearing me? So those three things, indifference, discouragement, and distraction, you cannot allow it to be a part of the workforce. Now, I, lo I love this story that I'm getting ready to share because we see a young man who who sets a perfect, perfect illustration of how to deal with the IDD, the id. For those of you that understand mental health challenges, id is an intellectual developmental disease. It stops you from thinking straight. It stops you from seeing straight. And the enemy wants to mess your mind up with this id, with this, <laughs> with this what I just mentioned. He wants, to, he wants to mess you up in this year. A lot of, something I was watching on the news the other day, they said, because of the, of, the, of the recent upsurge in the virus, that there's an upsurge in the mental health disease area. Like there's a lot more people now depressed, a lot more people now discovered, a lot more people distracted, a lot more people just, this enemy wants you to be a part of that. But tell them, say not today. Come on, say not today. Say not on my watch. I'm gonna pay attention to what I've been told to do and I'm gonna fulfill my mission for Christ. The young man I want, to, I want to talk about here, is, his name is called Nehemiah. 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 When you get some time, read the book of Nehemiah. It's so, I mean, for, for young leaders, for, for, for emerging leaders, it's a powerful story to look at. There, there, there's so many different nuggets you can take to develop yourself as a leader. I mean, this guy saw a project and in 52 days completed the project, namely the rebuilding of the wall around his, his nation. Okay? But I want us to look at Nehemiah because you probably understand a little better when, when we go through it. So we're going to go to chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. Now, a little backstory. Nehemiah is serving a pagan king. Nehemiah is a man of God. Nehemiah was also cupbearer. Nehemiah was in a place of influence and affluence. Nehemiah was well positioned and did not have a need at the level that we call having a need. He was straight. He had what he needed. He was in the king's presence. He got to taste the king's wine to make sure there was no poison in it before giving it to, I mean, he, he played a prominent role in the king's kingdom, right? But Nehemiah one day, in the starts in chapter one, where he receives word, he's, you know, he's just asking, he's, he's a little concerned about his family he left back home, and he's thinking, he said, he actually said, how's the folks back home? What's going on? How's everybody doing? And one of the, the, the Israelites told him, said, look, it don't look so good. It don't look too good. You know, the walls around the city have been burnt down. The gate has been torn down. The people are exposed to the enemy's attacks. The people are suffering. And Nehemiah could have been like, oh, wow, hey, man, that, that's, so, that's so sorry for all that. Oh, man, I will, I, you know, they'll, they'll be all right. He could have done that. He could have, he could, no, but in verse 4 it says, so it was when I heard these words, when Nehemiah heard this, heard this bad news, when Nehemiah heard this terrible news, the Bible says that he sat down and he began to weep. And he mourned for many days. And then he says, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I'm talking about the fact that when he heard the condition of the people, he did not become indifferent to the reality. It drove him to his knees. It drove him to supplication and intercession. One of the key ways to deal with indifference is to simply pray for people. Oh, hear me tonight. Young people, wake up, get off your phone if you're out here missing it. If you're watching, don't miss it. A lot of times we don't understand. We think that, that, that but there's nothing I can do. Let me tell you, that, that's the excuse. There's nothing I can do about it. So what's the point of trying? No, you can pray. If, you, if I can't go to the White House to help the president see some things, I can at least pray for him. 
If I can't go to Southeast every day or somewhere in Africa and Nigeria where all this senseless killing is going on, the least I could do is pray for the people and petition heaven. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah said, I'm not going to act like this won't affect me because if it affects them, it affects me. I'm a part of the family. They are part of my family. They are part of the human race. I can't be comfortable while people are dying and going to hell. I can't just legit be cooling while everybody else is on their way to fry. I can't. Something has to happen in my heart. Something has to happen in your heart. You can't be just relaxed while young people are exposed to pornography, exposed to addiction, exposed to all kinds of rebellion. You're like, ah, I'm good, I'm good. At least I listen to my mom. No, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray. Intercession. And that's what Nehemiah did. That's how you deal with indifference. That thing that wants to show up on the harvest field and cause you to miss your opportunity to be a witness, the way to deal with that is to pray for people. Because in prayer, in prayer, Nehemiah was able to gird up with the strength that he needed for the, next, for the next move. He was able to get the strategy. You know, a lot of times we go into the harvest field, we go out to do evangelism without doing a lick of praying. And we wonder why we come out there beat up, battered, and bruised with fear. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do evangelism. Did you pray? Because some of the things that you think are so difficult to accomplish, out of prayer, you will find it seamless. It will be next to, I mean, it will be next, look, it will be so smooth, you will step back and be like, yo, how did that happen? Say prayer. Say prayer. I know it's a bad four-letter word for some people to work. Now you're talking about prayer? Pastor, are you cussing us today? No, this four-letter word, you need it. P-R-A-Y, pray, or else you'll become a P-R-E-Y, pray to the enemy. If you don't start praying, in this time, if you don't spend time in prayer, in this time, if you're not on your knees, young people, the amount of time we spend, and I say we because I do it too, we spend on these devices, we spend on these devices, we spend on all kinds, the amount of time that we spend, if you took just 10% of that time daily in prayer, you will begin to see God give you strategies. Some of you, you are called for the mission field. And the Lord is depending on you for the next move. But it requires you to pray. It requires you to pray. Okay? So, that's how you deal with indifference. You pray, you pray, you pray, you intercede. And God will do something in your heart before he can do something in somebody else's heart that you will, you will in, encounter. Okay? Next thing I want to talk about is the discouragement piece because after Nehemiah prayed, the Lord gave him such favor. He went to his boss, he went to the king, and he said, oh, king. Matter of fact, he didn't even have to say anything. He went to the king, and the king said, there's something wrong with your continence. You don't, look, you don't look okay. What's going on, Nehemiah? I know you're usually joyful. You're usually a good, I mean, what's going on? And he was able to share his heart, and the king wrote a letter. That's a big deal back then. He wrote a letter of approval and said, wherever you go, whatever you need, oh, somebody hear me. Wherever you go, whatever you need, because of my signet, because of my stamp, you will have favor. This is what happens when you come out of prayer, oh, Whatever you want, whatever you need, the Lord's signature on your moves makes things possible. The reason why we sit here 30 years later doing what we're doing, it's not by happenstance. Bishop Johnson prayed, Pastor Johnson prayed, Pastor Chris prayed. And you're getting to ride the tailwind of a prayer. Are you listening to me? But Nehemiah got favor out of this. And so Nehemiah was able to go and scout the location. He was able, I'm talking about compassion because it says Jesus came out. It, you know, it correlates. Jesus came out. He said he was mover compassion. Nehemiah went out and he, saw, he said, look, I got to do something about this. I got to do something about this. But whenever you make up your mind to do something, uh, something about this, the enemy said, I will do something about this. Yeah. The minute you make up your mind to say, you know what? I'm going to do what the Lord has asked me to do. The enemy said, okay, let's do something about this. And so if you go to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, it says, but it so happened, listen, the enemy was listening, and the enemy heard, got wind, got word. Look, oh, I hear y'all teaching, y'all need to harvest. Oh, that means you're up to something. The enemy got wind, got word that Nehemiah was getting ready to do some things, and it said, and it so happened when Sanballat heard 
that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and he was very indignant and he began to mock the Jews. Go to verse 2. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? These little Jews, what are they doing? What is this little boy trying to do? What is this little girl trying to do? What is this African trying to do? <laughs> you know, the Lord used some Africans to start a global movement. You know that, right? What are they trying to do here? What are these people, Jews, trying to do? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they, oh, will they revive the stones? There's a revival coming. And you are part of it. Oh, there's a revival coming. And the Lord is saying, I need you to assemble. Put my house in order. Put your life together. There's a revival. He said, well, they revived the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burnt. Go to the next verse. Oh, my God. This is Sam Ballard talking. Now, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. You know, the enemy comes with his crew. And he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I am telling you, when you decide to endeavor to do something for the Lord, don't be surprised when discouragement comes. Don't be, oh my God, what's happening to me in my life? I tell young people all the time, the day you step foot in sound, I want to be a youth leader. <laughs> all of hell says, that's the one I want to get with. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You started serving in this ministry as a youth leader, as a young adult leader, and every hellish attack you can think about has come your way. But don't be discouraged, y'all. It's a part of the job description. Are you listening to me? Some of you got involved just as an usher in your church, as a praise and worship leader, and you're worried and you're wondering, why is my life going? You know, why are these attacks? Hey, if you're not being attacked, I'm concerned. Real talk. If you're not going under it, I'm concerned. You're probably either not on his team or you're way behind the tree somewhere. I remember years ago when we went paintballing somewhere. I'm not going to say my pastor's name, who, who, who went there that day. But some of y'all went on that trip, you remember? We were on the front line, baby. We were paintballing. If you ever been paintballing, you understand how the mugs hurt. We're on it like, boom, boom, we're shooting, we're shooting. And this one pastor, a good friend of mine, was way, I wish I could jump behind here. And he allowed us to shoot each other up. Then he came out clean with no shots, and he celebrated the victory. But man, you ain't even get the fight. What are you talking about? <laughs> Don't be that kind. Where you're watching other people fight and labor and go through it, and you're sitting out with popcorn saying, man, y'all really struggling out there, aren't y'all? Man, it's rough out here. This, this whole church ministry stuff. Hey, I don't know what you think this is, but there's something called the beamer seat judgment. We're not going to go through the great white throne judgment. We're not. But we're going to face the judge on the beam of seat. And that's the day of rewards. Don't be surprised when you, all you get is a little crown. It's like, I don't know how it's going to look. I'm just saying. I'm just, my imagination is tripping. You're going to get one of those little, little, this little, this will be your crown. Thank you, Jesus. And walk away. God forbid. I want to be able to take a crown the size of New York City and I want to lay it before his feet. Oh, I want to be able to take what he has given me and return it to him. And what am I saying? I want to be able to take the energy, the resources, the opportunities, the open doors, and I want to be able to cause that to transmute into souls being saved. It has to be that way. And so when the attacks come, be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. Say be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. Last one, last one, last one. I talked about distraction. Let's talk about distraction. You got to see this because the enemy knew I, I couldn't get him with that, 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 that indifference. Oh, I missed him. I couldn't get her with that discouragement. She's still doing the work. Let me try something else. The enemy always tried. The Bible says after Jesus got tempted, the enemy left. But he was looking for an opportune time. He's always, I mean, look, the guy, can I say this? The guy is good at what he does. Oh my goodness, he is really good at what he does. Why don't you start being good at what you're called to do? 
He's a master deceiver. Why don't you exercise the master's truth? He's a master manipulator. Why don't you begin to unction and function in the creative spirit he's given you? Begin to exercise what you can do in him, in Christ. So distraction, let's look at that real quick. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Nehemiah chapter 6, 1 to 4. Let's look at it. Chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Boom, there it goes. So now it happened. Now, at first we heard about Tobiah and Sanballat, right? They said, that ain't enough. We need to bring on an army. We need to bring on reinforcements. So it says, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, these dudes' names will trip you out, the Arab and the rest of our enemies ah, heard that I had rebuilt the wall. I told you, he rebuilt the entire wall in 52 days in spite of the, 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 the indifference that some may have had, in spite of the, of the discouragement that he was receiving from the enemy. He did the work. And it says, our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and there were no breaks left in it. Now, they're speaking about holes in the wall, but I want to say he took no breaks because he needed to get the job done. Jesus took three years to turn the world upside down with 12 young adults. Three years, 12 young adults. I dare to imagine how many young adults are in this ministry right now. I just dare to imagine it. We're global, we're intercontinental. Three years, 12 young adults, no breaks. Think about it. Left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gate. Go to the next verse. Verse 2. That, that Sanballat and Geshem, now listen, Sanballat and Geshem decided, let's just talk to Nehemiah, because they're fighting things, we're not going to be able to beat, to beat him. It says, sent to me saying, come. Listen, y'all, this is your enemy talking to you. <laughs> These are the people that want to peel your cap back. The young people, y'all know what I'm talking about. They want to bust a hole in your head. Yet, they are inviting him and say, come, 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 Nehemiah. Let us meet together among the villages in the plain of, oh no, let me play with this a little bit. In the plain of, oh no, <laughs> oh no, bruh, I ain't going there. No, oh no, in the plain of, oh no, that don't even sound right. Oh no, I ain't coming there. In the plain of, oh no, but they thought to do harm to me or to do me harm. Next verse. Next verse. So I responded. This is what needs to be a response to distraction this week. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I am doing a great work. Oh, listen to me. Why should I now decide to stop and give my attention to you? I am doing the Father's business. Why must I stop now and give time and energy to you? I am working the harvest. Why must I stop now and give my energy to you? That's what, he, that's what he's saying. But look at verse 4. You would think that was enough. But they sent me this message four times. Oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe this round we ain't get him. Let's try him again. Oh, we ain't get him. Let's try him again. This distraction never stops. You know that, right? Bruh, I'm, I'm a little older than a lot of young people in here. Just a little bit, right? A little bit. I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. You saying whom for? <laughs> I struggle with distractions. I'm often distracted when it's time to pray. Have you noticed when it's time to pray, that one person you ain't talked to in so long, hey, Pastor V, I was just thinking about you. Why are you thinking about me at six in the morning? I kid you not, it never ceases to amaze me. It's time for me to read my word, and now I really got to get away from reading on my iPad because I do so much posting on social media. When I go to open up on my, on my iPad, all of the notifications and the responses that, I, that, that my flesh wants gratification, you know. Go ahead and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You want somebody to like that picture. You want somebody to like that post. You're distracted by the pleasures of the flesh. And so, I can't get you that way, I will get you this way. Four times. But listen to how the young man did it. He said, and I answered them in the same manner. 
Go to John 14, 12, so you can see this thing real quick, and we'll wrap this up. He said, I'm doing a great work. Look, somebody else said I'm doing a great work. Somebody else said you're doing a great work. Didn't Jesus say, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that he do, no, the works that I do, he will do also. As a matter of fact, greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. You see, you take for granted, I take for granted the vastness and the greatness of this work too often. And we think, ah, you know, I'm just doing, you know, my little thing. You know, even if you're standing at that door and you're greeting people, that's a great work. If you're assembling chairs and you're disassembling chairs, that is a great work. You say, but I'm not, I don't see nobody. You don't understand that one day out of a thousand, God may use you to smile at the next great Reinhardt Bunky. Hey, young people, don't miss it. You watching online, don't miss it. You might, you might be the reason why the next great evangelist rises up in this generation. You just don't know. But I only play the drums. You don't know that the rhythm that you're playing to may inspire someone to stop dancing in the clubs. It's a great work. It's a great work. I mean, whatever God has given, you know, Bishop Preacher last Sunday, he said, the title was, she did what she could. She did what she could. Whatever she had in her hand was what she used. In this instance, Nehemiah knew that there was a need in the nation, and he did what he could to address that need. Have you started to pray so that the Lord can open your eyes to identify the needs in your community? Or are you just so disconnected and you're so focused on me, myself, and I? Me, myself. This is the I generation. I got my iPhone. I got my iPad. It's all about me. I, I, I. May the Lord bust that eye open so you can see the needs around you. May the Lord cause your eyes to be made wide open so that you can see hurting young people, hurting mothers, broken homes right in your community, broken marriages. Your friends, they smile on the internet, but they cry in their bedroom. And God has given you an answer in your mouth. But you've got to have compassion. You cannot be indifferent. You cannot be discouraged. And you sure can allow the enemy to distract you. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. I believe the Lord sent this word for one or for every one of y'all here today. Whether you're watching online or whether you're in this house. He has need of workers. He has need of men and women who will give themselves to the salvation of one soul. The Bible says, when one soul gets saved, all of heaven rejoices. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you. There's nothing that we've done to deserve it, yet you've given us an opportunity to work your field. My prayer today, your prayer today should simply be, Lord, cause me to see what you see in our world today. Cause me to hear what you hear in our world today. Cause me to feel what you feel in our world today. Let's just pray for the next minute or so, whether you're watching online. Let's make that our prayer, whether you're in this house. And Lord, we will be moved with compassion like never before. That we won't sit in our high, lofty position, Lord, enjoying the luxury of this nation or any place while people are suffering around us. Lord, cause our hearts to break with what break yours to move with what moves yours. If you're watching today, you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity this moment to simply acknowledge Him as your Lord, acknowledge Him as your Savior, acknowledge Him as the only means that you have to get to heaven.
or to have heaven come to you simply repeat after me and say Lord Jesus today I come and I acknowledge you as the only means to salvation Lord Jesus today I accept you and receive you as my Lord and Savior today I am thankful that you have received me into your family it's all about you and you deserve the glory in Jesus name in Jesus name let's just worship y'all let's just worship let's worship the Lord tonight Give him the glory. It's all about him working in you. <laughs> it's all about him working through you. It's all about him glorifying himself in this season. It's all about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about his gospel. Hallelujah. Let's worship. Let's worship. Let's worship. Let's glorify the Lord. Let's exalt the Lord before we leave out of here. Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www. BethelCityOfHope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.